0: As Michael Collins began his second week of negotiations in London, it was evident that some stalemates were emerging. The British wanted free access to facilities on the Irish coast in order to provide naval defence for all of the British Isles. The Irish were concerned that such an arrangement would undermine Irish neutrality and wished to defend their own coast. While this stalemate emerged in London, another was continuing in Granard. Collins's fiancée, Kitty Kiernan, had fallen in love with Collins and was sure that he reciprocated. She was, however, somewhat unsure of his long-term commitment. She was concerned about the ageing process and what it might do to Collins's commitment. She also seemed unsure of Collins's ability to commit to one woman. Her remarks about the pretty girls he regularly encountered were often jocular, but so frequent as to make many readers, and possibly Collins wonder if she had deeper concerns. On October 17th, Kiernan penned two letters in her granard home. In her first note, she remarked that It seems ages since I heard from you. And in her second, recorded Her awful disappointment today, No letter from you when the post came. She then described her joy when Collins sent her some photos by registered post, but peculiarly remarked upon That cruel look which you've got on your face and which I'm so afraid of that I won't allow myself to believe it's true. Kiernan also seemed to rebuke Collins for the length of his letter, by stating that it was quite long, but apparently not long enough, as I suppose when one writes every day one finds it hard to write a long one. She repeated many of her previous concerns about Collins' attendance at Mass and Communion, and turned down his invitation to London just yet, dear. But perhaps the most telling passage in the letter reveals that Kieran still hadn't committed to marriage, and was still unsure about Collins's commitment to her.
1: I'm just as anxious to see you, although I'm not so sure we would continue to get on as well together as you think. Perhaps I'm wrong. I hope so. Only wish I could feel as you do about it. Isn't it peculiar I can't let myself go about the whole thing? Feel sometimes happy, so happy, but most times uncertain about it. You like me to be candid, so I'm just telling you the way I feel. You may or may not be disappointed. If you could see it as I do, you might feel different. I'd be too selfish expect you to be always thinking of me. Might get on your nerves, might make myself utterly miserable and incidentally affect you.
0: Kiernan was 28 years old, and it seems that she could have married Harry Boland, or indeed any one of several other suitors, if she had desired. She seemed very much in love with Collins, but remained unsure of her attractiveness to him. She seemed to require frequent reassurance in that regard.
1: I wonder how you are doing in London. Meet any nice girls that you liked? Did you kiss anybody since? I didn't. Didn't get the chance. You know I'm only joking.
0: Joking or not, this was the second time in three days that Kiernan had mentioned Collins' proximity to nice or pretty girls. On October 20th, a new diplomatic row blew up in London. The Pope had telegrammed the King, welcoming the opening of the peace negotiations and informing him of his prayers for a peaceful solution. The King replied, "'I have received the message of your holiness with much pleasure.' and with all my heart I join in your prayer that the conference now sitting in London may achieve a permanent settlement of the troubles in Ireland and may initiate a new era of peace and happiness for my people. De Valera objected to the telegram and decided that he should register his displeasure publicly. On October 20th he telegrammed the Pope. The people of Ireland have read the message sent by your Holiness to the King of Great Britain and appreciate the kindly interest in their welfare and the paternal regard which suggested it. I tender to your Holiness their gratitude. They are confident that the ambiguities and a reply sent in the name of King George will not mislead you, as it may the uninformed, into believing that the troubles are in Ireland or that the people of Ireland owe allegiance to the British King. The independence of Ireland has been formally proclaimed by the regularly elected representatives of the people of Ireland, and ratified by subsequent plebiscites. The trouble is between Ireland and Britain, and its source, that the rulers of Britain have sought to impose their will upon Ireland, and by brutal force have endeavoured to rob her people of the liberty which is their natural right and their ancient heritage. We long to be at peace and in friendship with the people of Great Britain, as with other peoples. But the same constancy through persecution and martyrdom that has proved the reality of our people's attachment to the faith of their fathers proved the reality of their attachment to their natural freedom, and no consideration will ever induce them to abandon it. While de Valera may have been determined to assert Irish independence on the international stage, his telegram greatly angered the British cabinet. It is difficult to ascertain when Collins was made aware of de Valera's telegram, but on the same day that it issued, he dispatched a loving but unusually stern reply to Kiernan's misgivings. In it, he refers to the attempted intervention of Kiernan's sister Helen in asking if she could help settle their relationship, and he also addresses some criticism they appear to have received for what may have been a public display of affection.
2: Kitty dear, this is to answer yours of Monday evening. I have a kind of idea that I ought really return that letter and let you look at it, and compare it with this reply, for I'll try this time reply solidly to all your points. But, first of all, don't be putting up too severe tests. Don't attempt to walk before we've learned to crawl. That is a fatal mistake. It is something that can't be done. By the by, first of all, do you know how your letter strikes me? I mean in net substance. It is this that you are trying to get out of it. Is this really so? I don't want to get out of it. I want it to work out and I promise to do my part of it. If it's not possible then God help us but let us have a fair chance. Isn't that right? Last night H asked me if she could do anything for us. I said no. We have to get this thing settled ourselves. Isn't that right also? You were not forgotten and if my letter had not reached you at all you should know that you were not forgotten. And if I were in jail and couldn't write to you at all, you should also know that you're not forgotten. I knew I wasn't, and that in spite of your not writing, actually not writing for two days, and if you only knew the difficulty I've been finding time, you'd know how unfair you are to talk of long letters. Since I commenced this, I've had to deal with several business letters, a few callers, and a few phone calls. I don't find it difficult to write you a long letter. I want to write to you all day, really. But I have many obligations, and don't forget that, even in the midst of them, I didn't let two days pass without writing. But I mustn't mind, must I? However, perhaps I do mind. And I'm not going to be cross any more, and that's that. And I'm not in good form any longer, and I was up at quarter past seven to go to the oratory, and that's that. And I'm sorry if I may be appearing to be unpleasant to you. And it's my real friends that have to suffer these things, and please don't you blame me. Don't be disappointed about the other thing. I don't want to be a hypocrite about it or anything else. I'm getting into that direction. Will you leave it at that for the moment? All my company are well. I think they liked your inquiry. Poor Sheila was enchanted. Everybody likes you. That's not good luck for me also. I hope you've written to Mrs. D. I'm making her life a misery at the present, but again, it's a case of my real friends. Will you really come here? Very likely you would not see too much of me. Don't you think that the seeing part of it has gone a good deal deeper now? I regard your attitude as being correct. If the contract be entered into, it is only just that the term shall be kept. Isn't that right? I do understand you. Whatever else you make a mistake about, don't make any mistake about that. And perhaps it is you who would feel different next year, and haven't we to chance that too? And if you really think I don't consider these things... And if you really do trust such a thing lightly, then you know nothing about me. And in spite of it, I would not change a word in your letter, for I don't like gramophone effects. I like people to say what they themselves think and mean. Were we really criticised, and by whom? So much the worse for the critics. Don't mind them. That was the thing. We ought to have been away from everybody. When we were, there was no necessity for criticism. Isn't that right also? By the by, do you really think I'd laugh over it now? Were my explanation so utterly bad? You need not dread our next meeting. I look forward to it more eagerly than ever before. And finally, you are right. If it can't last through misfortune and trouble and difficulty and unpleasantness and age, then it's no use. In riches and beauty and pleasure it is so easy to be quite all right. That is no test, though. Goodbye, Kit." and every good wish for the day. M. Look at the enclosed. Please destroy it as it may be regarded as a breach of confidence. It is not, though, really. Yours,
0: M. The day after Collins dispatched this rather stern address to Kiernan, he faced the ire of the British cabinet in the wake of de Valera's telegram. In both his political and personal life, Collins was coming under increasing pressure— and in some of his letters to Kiernan, the results of his personal stress are evident.